You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host as always. Today, we have my favourite tax man in Western Australia. He's my personal tax accountant. Trust him with my financial life. We are talking about the vacant land rule today, and that man to talk to is Carlo Bordy from Bordy & Associates. Thanks for coming in again, mate. It's been a little while. Yeah, morning. It has been a little while, but uh, believe me, between COVID and whatever, it's been a, a, a busy period. Tell me, for accountants, I, I would have thought, because given all the extra rulings around you know, business boosts and grants and exemptions, that uh, your life has gotten a lot more complicated this year. Well, it's a combination of complicated and also long hours. I mean, uh, there are a lot of people there that need the information and we've just been devoting extra time to trying to give them that. And unfortunately, the reward hopefully will be in that in the long term, people will uh, will benefit from these legislations because um, we're working hard, and uh, but everyone feels a bit of pain at this stage. And I guess that what that's done is add a whole bunch of time and, and uh, long hours for you guys in excess of the normal work you do, which is your normal yearly annual tax returns uh, and especially the stuff that I know you love talking about and that's the property side of things, which we're going to talk about today. Uh, And this is a very niche topic. And I know you're a bit concerned about possibly a lot of listeners going, what is this, what is going on here? But I'm very confident that the listeners we've got, uh, they've come along, we're at 101 episodes now and uh, they will be really interested in this topic, which is getting to know the recent tax ruling, I guess, the change that has been made uh, last July and in 2019 around what we can and can't claim as taxable deductions for properties when at some point in time they're not being rented and or they're vacant land. Is that about right? On a general note, it is. But unfortunately, they had a lot of little specifics, which um, if you don't get it right, it's going to cost you dollars. And to sum this up, I suppose, in a general term before I get into the specifics, prior to about 2004, 2005, if you had the intent of putting a property on a parcel of land, the commissioner would lay to claim the deductions on your holding costs. And those holding costs are stuff like interest, rates and taxes, insurance, land tax, and general maintenance on the block. They mean where you have cuts and whatever and, and fire breaks, etc. As of the 1st of July 2019, those costs are now no longer deductible and they're actually quarantined until the property is subsequently sold. So what happened is, say I, as a developer, would buy a property, not rent it out, demolish it and then maybe nine months later start building on it and then finish that project at no point in time have I rented it out what you're telling me is all of the uh, general you know interest and rates and those sort of expenses none of them are deductible anymore they're not deductible while incurred what they do is they get accumulated put aside and if you then turn around and sell the property at a profit that can be used to decrease your profit. So instead of on an annual basis claiming them as expenses against any income, for example, that I, that I make personally, they get sent towards reducing my capital base, which would uh, reduce the capital gains that I'll be paying when I sell one day. Essentially, yes. But more importantly, in, in layman's terms, what it means is you're paying back your loan, you're paying interest to the banks, and you're incurring these costs, and you're not getting any, any relief for tax at that point. So it's a cash flow issue in that you're spending money and you're getting no tax advantage at that point in time. So Why do you think that they've changed this ruling, a flip-flopped again back this way? I, I think what's happened is uh, there's been, uh, like a lot of situations, um, one of the tax departments looking at minimising deductibility of certain things, but also there's been a minority of people that have abused the situation. 
I think it's a combination of those two factors. And it was becoming a bit of a grey area. I mean, you'd have to prove that you were going to rent it out. And some people were saying they're going to put a prop in there and they didn't. And there were, you know, all these circumstances. And I think the, the tax arm just said, let's put a line in the sand until the property is finished. And I'm going to go through and give you the exact definitions of this. Um, until you qualify. If you don't qualify, you don't get it. And that's pretty much it. All right, we'll go for it. Give us some more Carlo Bordy detail. Well, basically, this legislation doesn't apply if you're operating through a company structure. It doesn't apply if you're working if you're operating through a super fund other than a self-managed super fund. It doesn't apply if you're working if you're operating through a public unit trust or a managed investment trust. So, in other words, um, the new measures are really targeting individuals, and, and I'm going to use the word concurrently family trust, discretionary trust, because basically a lot of people use those concurrently those two words. Partnerships, unit trusts, and self-managed funds. If you're purchasing land with the intent of putting a rental property on there these measures will affect you. So you're telling me that if I purchase a property in a company name, I still can claim all these expenses like I did two years ago? That's where it gets interesting because what happens is if the company purchases a property and, and, and the company is just a standalone, first of all, the costs just get quarantined anyway until you're making a profit. Because but there is no income to deduct right. against. That's yep. right. And more importantly, you don't really want to put a property in a company because when you sell that asset as a residential rental property, let's say, you don't get the 50% discount for capital gains. So I'd never recommend a person puts a property in a company anyway. So the commission has been very smart in saying, oh, I'll give you this concession because then, if, if you put it under the company, I'm going to get you later when you sell the property. So it's, for it's, all of these developers who are mum and dad developers, generally putting it in their personal names or in personal names on behalf of a trust or a super self-managed super fund, this is for you. Yeah, basically, the, the, the smaller individual with the smaller structures, it's going to affect you, yes. All right, let's keep going with the detail. So I suppose the important thing is, is, what is what's the definition of vacant land? And the commission virtually says that its land doesn't contain a substantial or a permanent structure that is available for use or land that contains residential premises which is not yet lawfully available to be occupied or not available for rent. So let's put that in English terms. Basically, unless you've got a house ready to list for an agent to be rented, until that point of time, those costs get quarantined. So even when you're between tenants doing a bit of a spruce, by the letter of the law for two or three weeks that you've not got it listed, you're saying that that two or three week period of rates and interest by the letter of the law is not a deductible expense. I'm going to come to that, but you're right. Basically, there's a vacancy period that arises in a number of different instances, and there's three instances which I'm going to cover in a minute. But to give you an example of how that works, so the average person might buy a block and they might say, right, I'm going to put a rental property on there, and they actually do that. They enter into contract with a builder, and they do that pretty promptly. And the quicker you do it, the better it's going to be nowadays. So all the costs that we would mentioned, which are holding costs as a definition, get quarantined until the property is pretty much ready and available to be rented. Until that time, you, you don't get the deductibility on it. And, and the main issues are that one when you're building, which is initial construction. The second one is, is as you mentioned, between tenants. So you might have a situation where either the house needs sprucing up or, or the tenant done significant damage and you can't make it available uh, in the short term and you tell your agent, listen, put it off for about three or four weeks. These holding costs then get quarantined in that period. So if the property's not available for rent, you lose the deductibility over that period. And the last one, which is a big sting in the tail, is if in most cases where people want to sell a property, they normally wait for it to be vacated. 
So if the property becomes vacated, then it's no longer available to be rented. So under that definition, from that date onwards, these holding costs also get carved out of your deductibility from the rental property, and they get quarantined in the event that you make a capital gain. And look, and that can take sometimes three or four months. So cash flow-wise, again, you're not getting a deduction for it. And, and the worst part is that if, if for some reason you make a loss on the property, which is quite doable, if you make a loss on the property, these holding costs are a specific category for capital gains definition, and they are excluded to allow you to increase your loss. They, you virtually lose them if you're making a loss scenario prior to applying these extra costs. Mm. So that's also um, a bit of a slap in the face. So um, I guess from one side of the equation, there is deductibility as a whole of project does come back to you when you sell. But if you don't plan on selling for 20 years, then you're not going to get that benefit for 20 years. Uh, and on top of that, if you lose, if you make a loss, you won't see any of that benefit anyway. Look, absolutely. And more importantly, you've just said something which is which is really important. You said you might hold that property for 20 years, which may be the case, or 10 years or whatever. Technically, what it means is you've got to keep all these receipts as well because the commissioner says you've got to keep a receipt for at least two and a half years from when you lodge your tax return from when you claim that specific expense. Now, if you bought a property 20 years ago or 10 years ago and you've got this rates and taxes and interest that you've never claimed – well, then you're claiming it at the end on your capital gain calculation. That's when the clock starts for the two and a half years, not when you first incur the cost because you're claiming it now. So all those receipts need to be kept. That's really important. Otherwise, you're going to dip out on that deductibility. If there are people who, and this goes to a broader question really on a lot of miscalculations, but if there are people who are doing their own tax through MyGov or who have a tax agent who doesn't understand this information, what are the implications if they do get it wrong or if it needs to be amended in the future? What, what, how does the ATO generally look at this stuff? The ATO has a greater leniency with an individual that does their own return because they, they acknowledge that the, the laws and legislation is rather complex. And, and look, even a lot of accountants get this wrong. Um, it's not common knowledge unless you do a lot of these returns. If you're an accountant, well, then there's more accountability for you to ask the right questions as an accountant and get it right. So there is some comeback for, by, the, uh, by the taxpayer. But ultimately, the taxpayer signs off on the declaration too. So not an easy one. The best advice I can give you there is just make sure that whoever you deal with has got some sort of knowledge and is proficient with dealing with properties. Um, My level of interest on this one really is specific to, and I think a lot of listeners, especially clients at Strategic Property Group, uh, to being a developer where you purchase a property, knock down that property, go through a build, and then look to probably sell those properties on completion. Now, what it does is, it, whilst it's a little bit frustrating on the front end that your annual tax return doesn't have a few more tax deductions in it, I guess the saving grace that I'm seeing it at, at least is when our project that we would do would normally take 18 months and we would expect to be making profit at that point in time, at least as a whole of project outlook, we're getting those deductions anyway. Is that is that a bit of a saving grace? Am I missing something? With regards to your deductibility, when you're talking about an asset which is defined as a, a capital asset, which is like a rental property, these costs that are quarantined can be applied to the capital gain. But you've got to keep in mind that when you're claiming a deduction against a rental property, it's dollar for dollar. So in other words, if you've got uh, income of, uh, of $10,000 from rent and you've got $2,000 worth of expenses, your profit comes down to 8000 if you've got to quarantine that $2,000 and apply it to the capital gain, if you've had the property for more than 12 months, you get a 50% discount. And what that means is those expenses then are also discounted by 50% in essence when you do the calculation. So sure, you get some of it back, 
but it would be far better as a tax-deductible expense rather than a capital expense. And look, unfortunately, it affects not only properties built from the 1st of July 2019, you could have built a property back in 2007. And if you built a property under the definition, it's caught under this new legislation. So it's retrospective. Yeah. So you could have built 10, 20 years ago. If you built a property, it's caught by this legislation, definitely. And I guess the other point would be, for a lot of people, when they go through that first development, they're not making as much of a taxable income whilst they're going through a development. Their tax rate at that point in time would be lower. And then when they are going to sell that property and they make those profits, uh, then that increases their taxable income in that situation. Their marginal tax rate against those costs would be higher. Does that make sense? Would there be a benefit there? or a- Look, I understand what you're asking. You're saying if you make a capital gain, you're going to show more income in that year. So you're going to be paying a higher tax bracket. So by quarantining these costs, you're, you're dragging them into a different period. What we've seen under normal circumstances is that most people's tax brackets aren't going to be the, the impact. Uh, you get a lot of situations where people wait till they retire and they're actually in a lower tax bracket. So it's a bit of a mixed game there. So... Yeah, I've got a lot of people who become retirees now and they've got these properties they've held for a number of years. They're now selling them because they are in a lower tax bracket, which actually compounds the negativity of it. And look, and there's another issue associated with land uh, legislation, and that's people are selling properties potentially and they're making a loss. So with the old legislation, what it said was if you have got a loan which is dedicated solely for the property and you then dispose of your property and you make a loss and the funds are all applied to the loan, and the loan is not extinguished, the balance of the interest on that loan can be carried forward as a tax deduction. With this new legislation, if you vacate your property and you've built this property, so it's defined as vacant land, compared to having bought it as a second-hand property, so if you vacate your tenant, under that definition, when you incur this loss, it's vacant property. So this loss on the interest can no longer be deductible moving forward. Compared to the person who bought a second-hand property, if they vacate their tenant and then they sell their property three months later, first of all, all their holding costs are deductible against the rental income. And secondly, the, the post-cessation interest is deductible to them. So, you know, another sting in the tail here. Well, it all sounds like more work for you, Carly, more billable hours. Well, unfortunately, what it does is, is a lot more information is going to be collated and then recorded. You know, like I said, sometimes people call properties for a lot of years this is where the individual is going to have to keep a lot better records and files per property to carry forward all this. Otherwise, they're going to dip out at the end. And uh, yeah. Last question, depreciation. Does that still apply in there? Is that in that bucket too? If I don't rent my property out for 12 months and it's sitting there depreciating and I have a depreciation schedule, can I still claim those expenses along the way? Look, if a property is available for rent, the answer is yes. If it's not available for rent, well, the answer is no. And that, that's where... There's, there's a cut-off there, and that's, that's always been around that legislation. But more importantly, what they've done in the recent years is when a person bought a second-hand property, you could get a, a, a license value uh, to, to come and, and look at the property, and you'd be entitled to claim um, a portion of depreciation on stuff like carpets and curtains and life fittings and whole water system. With the new legislation, if you buy a second-hand property or a second-hand asset, you can't claim that asset as depreciation. Uh, you can still get the special building write-off, which is 2.5% on cost of construction over 40 years, but the depreciation on items is also now uh, out the window. So the ADO is slowly reducing what you can claim as a deduction. Slowly in, in other ways other than negative gearing and other than capital gains discount, finding ways to make it a little less incentivized to be a landlord and be a developer. 
Well, I think they're just sharpening the pencil so that uh, they're not allowing people too many deductions. Ultimately, when you when you buy a rental property, the ultimate decision should be that one day I'm going to pay a fair bit of tax because if you buy a property and simply get negative gearing as a deduction and then sell your property and make a loss, you've just thrown money away. I remember that I also find this to be super interesting, which is why I wanted to cover this on the podcast. A project for me, either as an active development or a passive investment, is that a good project or a good investment regardless of these outcomes? And these are the rounding numbers that do affect our bottom line at the end of the day and, and do affect our compliance. Uh, but they don't determine whether it's a good or a bad investment. Would you agree? I'm going to simplify that to say if you're paying tax on a project, then normally it's a good investment because it means you've made money on it because mm. if you're not showing tax on it, you've lost money on it and that's not the way to go. Thanks a lot, Carlo. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!